everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. What are the Saints going to do? They need so much RP3. D'Lo, they need so much. Got to go out there and get a D-tackle. Need a couple of them who've been poached by the NFC South. Still need a running back. Need a guy to carry the rock. Alvin Kamara's going to be suspended. Mark Ingram is trash. What are we going to do? All these other people are getting paid. What's going to happen? Oh, my God. Easy. What do we say on this show? What do we like to say on this show about Mickey Loomis Dawson? What do we like to say on this show? What have we been saying all week? What did we start saying last week? What do we say you about just trust Mickey? the process? There we go. So what happens yesterday? We got a couple of beefy lads, huh? As Kevin Foote liked to describe it, <laughs> which I was not prepared for him to go with beefy lads, which is just funny. That's something that he would say. Yeah, I got them a couple of beefy lads, including a key component of the front seven of the Super Bowl champs. And then later in the day, got themselves a running back who rushed for over a thousand yards a season ago and, oh, had 17 rushing touchdowns. 17 which I do believe led the NFL with running backs. And they got them on the cheap. Once again, trust Mickey Loomis. Trust Mickey Loomis. I don't know how many times we keep, I have to keep saying this. Yeah, but this probably pushes you a couple rungs down the depth chart now. So, Because yesterday you were starting, <laughs> and now you're probably – so that's maybe a rotational piece, though. Still. Oh, you know what? Rotational piece, I can be out there on special teams on the on, on the uh, kicking team. You know, big field goal block right right in the middle. Oh, Hands I, up. I'm your guy. I'm your guy. I got a big wingspan. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, and soon to be rotational player for the New Orleans Saints, Raymond Parts the Third. I'm joined inside the studio by the producer extraordinaire Dawson Iserlow. We got a good show lined up for you on this Thursday edition. NCAA tournament kicks off today. Sorry, first four. Kicks off today. We have a slate of games, multiple games. Coverage will begin here on the game right after footnotes with guest host D'Lo signs off. It's going to go right into NCAA tournament action, and it's going to last all day and into the night and during the night. So, We'll have you covered, courtesy of our friends at Westwood One. So we're going to talk about that with Lee Sterling, our sports betting analyst from Paramount Sports. He'll join us today at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, Les East for CrescentCitySports.com to talk about Saints, talk about Pelicans. Some of that news will be good. Some of it will not, as we know. It, both things can't be good at the same time. We've figured that out. 
Thomas Wartell, skill masters, golf coach, will swing by. And, of course, Scott Rabelais, the award-winning columnist from the Baton Rouge Advocate. We'll talk LSU women as they gear up for the NCAA tournament and more. So that's what we got on tap for you today. Of course, we'll recap uh, Louisiana Raging Cajun Pro Day yesterday. D'Lo was there for that. We'll hear from some of the players. And, of course, we'll preview Raging Cajuns versus Volunteers NCAA tournament game, which will be tonight from Orlando. We'll get to all that. And, of course, your phone calls. We love to hear from you. Game hotline is always open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to lead off today talking Saints. I don't know how Mickey does it. I just know he does it. This man, this week alone, somehow was able to convince Michael Thomas Dawson to essentially tear up that massive contract and sign a team-friendly one-year deal. He somehow then convinced Jameis Winston to believe that it was Jameis's idea to come back to be the backup quarterback on a team-friendly one-year deal. He then goes out and gets a key member of the front seven of the recently crowned Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs, to leave that organization and come play for the New Orleans Saints. He then convinced another defensive tackle from an emerging team in the AFC, the New York Jets, a team many feel is a quarterback away from being a playoff contender, if not a Super Bowl contender, to leave that organization and come to the New Orleans Saints. And then he finally convinced a running back who led the NFL with 17 rushing touchdowns a year ago and over 1,000 yards rushing to leave, once again, an emerging team in the NFC because Detroit sure does feel like they're going to win the NFC North next year. To leave that situation and come sign a three-year deal worth only $12 million. Is Mickey Loomis a wizard? Yes or no? Yeah, he's in the discussion. You talk about Harry Potter. You talk about some of the greatest wizards that there have been. <laughs> he's right there in the in the mix. How's he doing it? Like, look, I, well, we can have a discussion. Let's talk about Jamal Williams, first of all. Zeke Elliott destroyed the running back market. It's it's probably never going to come back. It, it started to be destroyed, and then Dallas gave Zeke that massive contract. He didn't live up to the massive contract, and now we're seeing running backs who score 17 touchdowns in a season only able to get three-year deals worth $12 million. And if you look around at the other deals for running backs this offseason, and even last offseason, right, Dawson? last offseason and now this offseason, the market for good quality running backs still under the age of 30, they're not getting any. Right? Like three-year deals worth 12 to $13 million is what they're getting. So credit Zeke Elliott and the Cowboys for basically bottoming out the, the running back free agent market for years to come. 
Yeah, if, if the top top end guys like McCaffrey and those guys are still going to get paid, but if you're not like elite, irreplaceable talent, if you're a second tier guy, you're not getting paydays. Right, right, and that's that's what the Saints were able to take advantage of, quite honestly, yesterday. And they get a guy to. Here's the other thing about that signing. Jamal's career, even with Detroit and before then Green Bay, he was always a split the carries guy. And because of injuries last year to DeAndre Swift and some of the other backs, they had to lean on him more than probably they wanted to. Probably more than Dan Campbell wanted to, right? And he stepped up. He was always a guy that gets you about 500 to 550 yards a, a season, gets you some touchdowns. He was always a good rotational back. If it was fantasy football, he'd be the guy that you would draft in the lower rounds as an insurance policy or as what we used to call handcuffing. So he doesn't have that much tread on him, right? Like he doesn't have that much wear and tear on him. Because all of his career has been spent as not the featured back. He's spent time splitting carries. So, not only do you get a guy that fully understands that he's coming into a situation where, yes, he will more than likely be the starter for six games, maybe even eight. Because Alvin Kamara, we expect to be suspended by the NFL. But then he he will also then can turn into... Okay, I can split carries because that's what he's done his entire career. So you're not dealing with someone, say, like Leonard Fournette, who struggles with splitting time. You're you're not doing that. You're also not dealing with a running back that has way too much mileage on him. He's 27, so he's under the age of 30, which means you're going to get the good prime years still left. And he knows how to split carries. I, this is a, a, a win-win. The deal's only worth $12 million. Only eight of it is guaranteed. I love the D-tackle moves. This is a knock-it-out-of-the-park kind of home-run move that Mickey Loomis was able to stun everyone. No one had this on their radar. No one had this on their radar. And it just came out of nowhere. Oh, Saints are signing Jamal Williams to a three-year deal worth $12 million. Yeah, I heard some people kind of pushing for it, but I didn't. I didn't really think it was all that real, more realistic. You know, I, I thought I thought he was going to have other offers elsewhere for more money, but yeah, I, I don't really see the scenario in which this isn't a perfect signing in, in a way. You know, as, as perfect as a signing can be, because the price is certainly right and the player is right. Um, he's a goofy guy. He's going to fit right in with Cam Jordan. Although there was a video uh, that came out. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. Cam Jordan kind of making fun of him uh, a few, I don't know if it was a few months back. And so now we'll see. Hopefully he retracts some of that stuff. But uh, the, I think those two are going to be perfect together because I watched a good bit of hard knocks last year with the Lions. And Jamal Williams seems like the type of guy that would get right along with Cam Jordan's personality. And he is uh, six foot two twenty four. Like when you think of guys that split carries, you think of smaller backs like five foot nine, five foot ten, 195 pounds. My man works out in the gym. And he's a locker room guy. I mean, he was a leader. He was an emotional leader of that Lions team throughout training camp last year as displayed in, in Hard Knocks. So, I mean, 
the other thing, too, is he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Now, the Lions actually didn't utilize him that much last year in that role, only had 12 catches, but before that, he'd had at least 25 catches in every season in his career, um, and, and, and his career high of 39 catches back in 2019. So he's not only uh, a guy who's going to be able to be a goal line back, a, a power back, a between-the-tackles back, but he can catch the ball out of the backfield and do some different things. He's a pretty versatile guy. I think he's probably been pretty underrated his whole career. Remember, he's played – you know, with and around Aaron Jones in Green Bay for most of his career. And then he yep. went to Detroit with DeAndre Swift. Again, last year was kind of that first chance for him because of some injuries and some circumstantial things, and and he delivered. I mean, he was over four yards a carry. He Look, he's now he fumbled the ball three times last year, but before that he had fumbled once in his first five seasons in the NFL. So he's, he's reliable. I mean, he's just... Now the fumbling could be because he had more carries yeah, and more Yeah, plenty of more work, right? right? And he's just been a reliable, really good player in the NFL. And the Saints, again got him at a price that you really can't beat. I mean, you can't sign kickers for the money they gave Jamal Williams. So $12 million, eight of it guaranteed for three years. Dude. For three years, right. Like, and this is a guy, and you look at his career, came into the league in 2017, and only had 100, he had 153 carries, 121, 107, 119, 153 carries. And then last year, all the way up to 262. But this is a guy that... Even before last year's breakout year with 1,000 yards rushing and 17 touchdowns, this is a guy that was giving you in a split split carry situation roughly around 500 yards, averaging around four yards a carry, and getting you about two and a half, three touchdowns a year on the ground. And then also catching an average of, it looks like, about 27, 28 balls a year for over 200 yards and a couple of touchdowns. So even if you took away the 17 rushing touchdowns last year and you signed a guy like this, it'd still, it'd still be a good move. Right. Now, that was going to be my next point. He, he's certainly not going to score 17 touchdowns this year. No. Um, if you follow fantasy football, the, uh, the term touchdown regression would be a prime. He would be a prime <laughs> candidate for that. So <laughs> yes. he's not going to do that. But he is a good goal line back, and that's something the Saints have surely been missing a guy now. Now you got a guy you can line up next to Taysom Hill in some of those formations that has a legit power threat, right? Hopefully we don't have to run Alvin Kamara like a dump truck, the way Kevin Foote describes. Boom and Zoom is back. And, yeah, I think you can you can really do some things. And now, look, I wouldn't be done at the running back spot. I still hope nope. they address it in the draft. But this is – You don't have to do it in the first the, round now. Yeah, this takes a lot of the pressure off. And I know we have to hit a break here, and we're going to talk about the two beefy lads, as Kevin Foote described them. That was also added yesterday to the Saints roster. You addressed D-tackle on Wednesday? Not once, but twice. You addressed running back with a guy who scored 17 rushing touchdowns last season. You got your quarterback. You restructured Michael Thomas's deal to bring him back on a one-year deal. This probably changes their entire draft approach. Now, they still like to trade up. Maybe there's someone in the draft that they love. We know Mickey loves to trade up. Position to need D-tackle. You still probably need to draft a guy and probably sign another guy. You can't have enough D-linemen. But maybe they go edge rusher instead. Maybe you find Cam Jordan's replacement. Maybe you decide to go wide receiver. Still, even though you got Michael Thomas on the one-year deal, you decide, eh, Let's, let's get us a wide receiver if there's one there at 29 or at 40. This changes everything for them. 
just in time for us to having all of our mock drafts unveiled. <laughs> but that's the fun part about doing the mock drafts now as we get closer and closer to the draft, teams' priorities change. And I don't think they're done. I really don't think they're I, I think you're going to see them continue to make moves. And I've said it before. And people go, well, you know, they just need to do a rebuild. I go, guys, Mickey Loomis isn't built that way. Gail Benson is not built that way. Her husband wasn't built that way. They always believe every single year that they can make moves in free agency and in the draft to make the Saints a contender every single year. Why would they try to tear it all down? Which, by the way, is what you should want as a fan. That's that's what you should strive for your organization to do is the desire to be competitive. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a timeout. More about the Saints moves coming up right here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The New Orleans Saints were busy, busy, busy yesterday, bringing in two defensive tackles as well as Detroit Lions running back Jamal Williams, who, you know, rushed for 1,000 yards and 17 rushing touchdowns a year ago. But doesn't have a lot of wear and tear because he always split carries during his time in Green Bay. That's a great addition for the Saints. And I love the big fellas, or as Foot called them, what was the, the description again, Dawson, that he described the two new D-tackles? Beefy lads. He Beefy said one of them, lads. One of them's a square and one of them's a rectangle, apparently because of the way they're built. Uh, one of them's taller, so he's the rectangle. That's also God bless Kevin. a great descriptive work. <laughs> God bless Kevin. Kevin. Let's talk. Um, Saunders, is it Kalen? Are we going with that? I saw a couple different – I saw some pronunciation arguments going around Twitter yesterday. Uh -oh. So, I, I don't know. I think it's – it's something. I'm going to go with Kalen until told otherwise. Yeah, I think it might be something else, but we'll, we'll go with that for now. We'll figure that out. Kalen Saunders, big fella, played his college ball at Western Illinois, so a small school prospect out of Missouri, St. Louis to be exact. He would be a third-round pick of the Kansas City Chiefs. He's been part of not one but two Super Bowl-winning teams. And he is a massive individual. When I say massive, look, I'm trying to lose weight, and I'm down to about 313. I was I got all the way up to like 326. Okay, so I'm a big boy, but I'm six foot four, and I'm a big boy. Our man Saunders is six foot 324. Six foot. 324. That is a massive, massive, absolute monster 
of a man. And look, early in his career, right, early in his career, he had to deal with some injuries for the Chiefs. Uh, but he became a big part of what they did on defense in particular this year. Uh, I can tell you, based on social media and talking to some people, Kansas City fans aren't too happy because they really liked him and are kind of upset that he was be was able to get poached in free agency. Had kind of a breakout year last year. Once again, injuries kind of derailed him early. Uh, only he appeared in 12 games as a rookie, started four, but was banged up in 2020 and then banged up again in 2021. So you have some concerns there about his durability for sure. But last year, 16 games, rotational guy, three and a half sacks from the D tackle spot, by the way. That's three more than Marcus Davenport had from the edge rusher spot for the Saints last year. And Davenport was a starter. Remember, Marcus, who got $13 million to go play for one season for Minnesota, had a half a sack. This six-foot, 324 monster had three and a half sacks last year and 48 tackles. Got to the quarterback eight times. So not only is this guy good against the run, he's good enough that he also puts pressure on the quarterback. Now, is Saunders going to be an all-pro for the New Orleans Saints? Is he even going to be Norman Hand? No. But he doesn't need to be. But Cam Jordan's happy today. Because you know why? Because Cam Jordan's got some competent guys on the defensive line now. And I don't think they're done. You got the big fella from Kansas City. And then they added, as Kevin Foote calls him, the rectangle. Nathan Shepard, who is built almost exactly like me, but if I only had muscle. Six foot four, 315 pounds. The defensive tackle, Nathan Shepard from the Jets. Once again, good pickup here. This is a guy who began his career as a defensive end, Dawson. They converted him to a D tackle. He's appeared in 14, 17, and 17 games the last three seasons. He spent all five years with the Jets. He has five, uh, sorry, seven starts in the last three seasons. Uh, this is a guy, not necessarily a big sack guy. He's got six sacks in his career, but he's a tackling machine over 100 tackles from the D tackle spot, 33 quarterback hits. This is a guy that can put pressure. These are two nice pickups. Are they all pros? Are they even pro bowlers? Probably not, but they're going to help beef up the defensive line, and that was an area of need. I think they're basically... They're not the same players as Shy Tuttle and David Onyemata, but I think you average up what you're expecting to get out of these two guys, and you average up what you got from those two guys, and you basically call it a wash. At, at worst, I think it's a wash. It might even be a slight upgrade. Because, again, Tuttle wasn't really giving you a whole lot uh, from a production standpoint. So, and Onyemata had kind of lost a step a little yeah, bit. And he had, again, he had availability issues, whether it was suspension or injury. So, uh, like, this is, I think you're in a better spot than you were last week when you thought you might have those two guys back. 
and now you can go in the draft. And again, I think we, we've kind of started to talk about how it may change draft strategy. Now you get you you can turn into the now I'm not a fan of the way they trade up and do things in the draft, but you can turn back into that aggressive approach now because you don't have glaring holes where you need bodies on the roster in certain spots. You can now maybe chase the upside if you have a guy you really like. Maybe you maybe you do you know sacrifice one of your later picks to move up a couple of slots to get a guy you really like. Now that's more of an option because before I think it was like no we got to use every pick we've got and maybe trade down a couple of times to try and get a couple more because we're going to need guys and. The other part about this with the defensive line, you still don't know what you have in Peyton Turner. So you're essentially going to get a new player as well if he can be healthy. I know that's a big what if, right? So if you're the Saints, do you still draft a D lineman, a D tackle, or an edge rusher in this draft? Maybe, right? Yeah, probably at some point. But now you don't have to feel the pressure of of getting a a one that can start right away if, if they're not ready to. You can also get you – I mean, it, it opens up so much for them, and I still think they're making moves. I, I, don't, I don't think they're done, right? I don't think they're done. They got their quarterback. They restructured the deals of their backup quarterback, of their stud-wide receiver who's been injured for three years. They've been making moves, restructuring contracts this offseason. You sign two D tackles. You sign a really good running back. Now you can just go out there and, and keep making moves. Keep making moves. Probably now wide receivers more in the mix in the first and the second round than maybe we thought. Because Thomas is only on a one-year deal, so maybe you want to go ahead and find that possession big-body wide receiver that could be groomed for a year and become the new tandem with Alave. Because here's the reality. Is Thomas going to re-sign with New Orleans after the one year? Maybe. But maybe he doesn't. Maybe he can't stay healthy. So maybe you look at adding a wide receiver with those first two picks now. The possibilities are endless. We've got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll put the Saints free agent talk aside briefly as we look ahead to tonight's NCAA tournament game between the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and the Tennessee Volunteers. We'll hear from both coaches. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NCAA tournament starts tonight, starts today, rather, starts at a little after 11 o'clock. First four is done. Now we get the actual first round games. And one of those games is going to be the Louisiana Raging Cajuns taking on the Tennessee Volunteers. That'll be the one of the late games, very late games. <laughs> On the slate for tonight, there'll be game will be played in Orlando. And before we do a deep dive into that, have you filled out your bracket yet? Have I? Have I? What does this look like? My first time doing this bracket wow. thing. Of course, wow. I filled out my bracket already. Wow! Absolutely. Uh, 
Can we can we do a deep dive into the bracket? We can get more well, to I, the the Cajuns Volunteers matchup later on so, on the show. I mean, we can. I had that lined up to do on footnotes. Oh, this man, man, man doesn't want to bring content to this show because he's guest hosting on footnotes. Well, look at this guy already big timing me. Yeah, I've only been here a month. <laughs> no, we can look. We can we can definitely get into it because I I'm you know obviously I'm not going to go through every pick in that show, so we can talk about some of the things I like. <laughs> You know, I'll give you I'll give you this. I'll give you this. How about Well, first of all, I just wanted to say before I kind of get I think today and tomorrow and we kind of touched on this uh, a little bit last week. I think today and tomorrow are two of the best sports days of the year. And you know, the Cajuns playing late, that creates issues for morning show uh, producers that have to be at the station before 6 in the morning. Slightly slightly. Um yes. and the bigger issue with tonight is that Usually, if it was a situation like today, the way I've done this, you know, in my couple of months working here, is I would then just take a nap throughout the day and then realize I'm going to have to be staying up late and then whatever. <laughs> today we got games starting at eleven o'clock. I'm not. I don't have time to take a nap today. I, I'm not missing. You know, no nap today. Six bud. to eight games that that would be going on while I'm napping. So none of that will be. We're allowed. just going to rely on the coffee and kind of you know powering through and now if the Cajuns win there will be no issues getting out of bed and coming in tomorrow and doing everything we need to do there'll be no sleep for you period you'll be ready well, to roll that's true but um all right yeah. so I, I I use a method but I always pick the wrong teams so I, I have a method okay typically based on recent years because I do I'll do a little research here right so there's some trends that have been going on for the better part of 10, 15, even 20 years. The one that everyone knows is pick the 5-12 upset, right? Because you usually always have at least one. That's one of them. Pick a two seed not to make the Sweet 16. That's been happening a lot lately where a two seed will lose in the round of 32. So pick a 5-12 upset. Pick a two seed to lose in the round of 32. Pick one of the teams from the first four to make the round of 32, which has been a trend of late as well. The 11 seeds, right, of course. Correct. Pick a double-digit seed to make it to the Sweet 16, but not make it to the Final Four. And pick a one seed to win the national title. And those are some of your big trends. Once again, always pick a 5-12 upset. Pick a two seed not to make the second weekend because it usually happens every year. Pick a team from the first four games to make it to the round of 32. Pick a double-digit seed to make it to the Sweet 16, but not the Final Four. Don't pick two teams from the same conference usually. I know a lot of times we fall in love with that. And then the other big one is usually a one seed wins the national title. With that said, with what is usually the trends in recent years here at the NCAA tournament, Dawson, yeah, we know you're a big Raging Cajun guy. We know in one bracket you have them winning the whole thing, taking down, you know, cutting down the nets in Houston. It's not the real bracket, but it is a bracket. Yeah. <laughs> it is a bracket. It's not a real bracket. And you may have them in your real bracket actually upsetting Tennessee tonight. So... My question to you is, let's go first. What's your 5-12 upset? Well, there's a couple. Uh, and so, you know, the 5-12 thing that you, that you bring up is a good point. And, and this year, I think it's more 
like I've, I've kind of said this, out of the 12 and the 13 seeds, I only think there's one that I don't like. And the funny thing is is the, the odds makers and people like that actually like Furman against Virginia. I don't think Furman beats Virginia. But other than that, I, I think there's a you know really a realistic opportunity that any of those teams can win. But I think the surest one of the group is probably College of Charleston. Um, they're, they're a 12 seed that won 31 games, right? And, and part of that is some of the new seeding things that go on with the NCAA and and I'm not a huge fan of all that. Now, another thing is, I think Char- Charleston at the same time though is going to get overpicked a little bit because people and are going to. It doubt- always worries me when that happens. People are going to doubt San Diego State because they're not from a power conference. They're from the Mountain West. Now, the Mountain West, uh, if you haven't been, you know, this isn't your dad's Mountain West. They they're putting four teams in the tournament every year now. So uh, that's something that concerns me with Charleston, but they're such a complete team, and they've won 31 games, and they have non-conference wins. They're a team, that's the funny thing about them, and that's why it was it was kind of so crazy when people were talking about them not getting in a tournament. They beat Kent State, who's a 28-win tournament team. They beat Virginia Tech. So so you picked college, you picked Charleston I as did. your 5-12 upset. Well, I have a, I have two that I picked in my actual bracket, uh, but they're one okay. of them. And um, but the other thing I that did I would not say, pick that one. I went against that one because everyone was picking it. Well, and I'm so you know here's another way to look at it. The way I look at it, and I want to kind of get into some of the things. If you're filling out your brackets and you're you're competing in some of the bracket challenges and things like that, pay attention to the rules and the setup of the bracket challenge that you're entering, right? Because the way like ESPN does it, for instance. ESPN has heavily weighted to the further rounds that you go. So you get a, you know, whether whether it's 100 points for a first round win, but like when you're if you have a final 14 correctly, it's automatically like 6 or 8 times as many points as just picking a first round matchup. Correct. So in that case, you can pick some first round upsets uh, for fun even, you know, like just some guy and and maybe try and get a couple of those right, try and steal a couple extra points and where you can really pick them is if you're really confident in a team in the next round beating the team that you think is going to pull off the upset, mm-hmm. then take them in the first round. So, for instance, I really like Virginia in this tournament to make a nice run, win a couple of games. So I am less stressed about picking College of Charleston because I have Virginia beating, whether it's San Diego State or Charleston, I have Virginia beating them, right? So I'm putting less risk in that upset pick. Now, if you're going to make a bold pick, which I do on occasion, and make a 12 seed go you know, to the Sweet 16 and stuff like that, well, now you're starting to put a little bit more risk. In any of those situations, if you feel great about a one seed in a region, in a given region, you can have a little more fun in that region because you still feel like the one seed's going to go out. So in the end of it, when you're trying to pick a Final Four team, you're still having your one seed, right? You're not putting risk in that. So I would say pay attention. Now, if you're if it's a bracket challenge where every matchup is weighted the same, whether it's the first round or the Final Four, then maybe get a little bit more conservative with some of those picks. You see what I'm saying? There's different ways to approach like what you're trying to accomplish with your bracket and how many you know picks you're trying to get correct. Are you just trying to get the best percentage of picks? Or are you just trying to pick the final four teams? And that's something I would say to pay attention to. I went my 5-12, which is going to maybe surprise some folks. I went with VCU over St. Mary's. That was That's my second. And I'm going to talk about that matchup, actually, in a little bit more detail on footnotes um, because that's one of my favorite picks. I really, really I think like it's a VCU. bad matchup for St. Mary's. I, I I just do, and VCU is a St. Mary's is a tournament team year in year out, but so is VCU. That's a uh, it, first of all, it's terrible that you put two of the mid majors against each other in a five twelve matchup. I, I don't, I'm not a fan of that. That said, I just I like that matchup. That's my five twelve matchup. Which team from the first four did you advance to the round of thirty two? Uh, so definitely. 
Pittsburgh, uh, 100%. I, I kind of had that beforehand, before they played. Now, what happened last night is Arizona State just steamrolled Nevada, and that's so when I mentioned to you that I'll have my... I got my, two of them. I, got, I have Pittsburgh and I have Arizona State. So that's the, the and that's 32. the 2-11 seeds. So obviously, you know, the yeah. other first four 16 seeds that, you know, you yeah. know, if you want to be real bold, go ahead. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's the, one of those situations where I, I have my bracket filled out before the first four, or at least an idea of it, and then I can kind of give myself a chance to go back and say, wow. And you tweak it. Before yeah. I write it down in ink, and that was one that I considered. Now, I already kind of had a good feeling uh, once Pitt beat Mississippi State, and I had them moving on. That Arizona State result yesterday kind of had me thinking because they looked really, really good. I mean, that game was not close from the get-go. Nevada's a very good team out of the Mountain West, um, and they did not look ready to play against Arizona State. So that made me think. I, I Right now, I, I do have Arizona State losing in the first round. But uh, I, I will definitely consider it. And again, that's something we've talked about it. When Bob Marlin's team played in the Sunbelt Tournament, we saw Southern Miss's coach, Jay Ladner, get upset about the format and things. Especially in a – now, when it's a 16 seed, you know, they're not – they don't have much of a shot anyway, right? So it doesn't really matter. These 11 seeds that are already pretty good teams, you know, usually power conference teams that are on the bubble that get in, now all of a sudden you talk about getting a chance to play a game two days before – Still get a rest day, but having played a game, they're in the flow. They're they're able to shoot the basketball, kind of get in a rhythm. Other other teams are, you know, having almost a full week off, maybe sometimes more than a week if their conference tournament was earlier. So that's something to keep in mind. Another thing, by the way, with your with upsets and stuff, I just want so people who will hear me talking about the tournament throughout the day, I no longer really consider upsets anything below a twelve seed in the first round. If an eleven seed beats a six seed in the first round, I don't really consider it much of an upset. Seven ten is not really an upset either. Certainly not, and of course eight nine. Now in the second round, if an eleven seed or a ten seed is beating a two or three seed, yeah, we could talk about that being a big upset. But for my first round picks, I'm really only considering a twelve and beyond. I know it's still an upset in a way; it's a minor upset, but I think there's certain class. And when you get to that twelve five line, that's when you're talking about usually. Great mid-major programs taking on pretty good power conference programs. So that's where it's like a, a bigger upset. So that's where I kind of lean. If I'm going to give you my upset picks, I'm going to give you 12 and below. I'm going to go bold with it. Do you have any double-digit seed in the Sweet 16? I do. Uh, I do. And, it, look, again, double-digit seed for me is a little bit interesting because it's you count 10 seeds, but I, I still count them. I have one that's even a little bit better than that, though. Um, and that is something that I, I wasn't going to say on this show, but I'll go ahead and give it to you, and maybe I'll talk about it again later. I have Kent State as a 13 seed into the Sweet 16. Um, nice. And that's a sh- that's an interesting one for me, and I talked about kind of the you know, the, the way that you're going to value each pick given in, in, from round to round, um, and I just really think, number one, again, it's a region that I think Houston comes out of regardless, so that's part of my, my process, right? I think Houston's going to come out of that region. Um, so I, I feel a little bit better about picking a couple of upsets, but I also think that that's a great opportunity. If you want to pick a 12 or a 13 to move on, you want to try and pick a spot where you think maybe they have a chance to face a 12 or a 13 in the second round, right? And I think that's the case because I really like Drake in the first round as well. Um, I think Kent State, when they play Indiana, look, Indiana's obviously a better overall team, and they have one of the best players in the country in Trace Jackson Davis, but they were inconsistent throughout the season. And I just worry if they don't show up ready to play. Kent State lost to three top 25 teams by seven points or less this season. They are a team that's only got six losses on the year, and again, three of them were to pretty stiff competition, and it was all very close games. 
their team they're missing you know they are missing a guy who's aver- averages about seven points a game but I think they overcome it they just beat a great Toledo team so uh, that's that's my big kind of uh, pick of the first couple rounds I have that as one of my upsets in the first round Kent State beating Indiana because you're right I don't like how the Hoosiers are inconsistent but the double digit seed that I have making it to the Sweet 16 knocks off a two seed Utah State I have Arizona going out early. Arizona's my two seed that gets eliminated early in the round of 32. Now, I'm probably going to be completely wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, of look, course. if y'all are looking for me to be right, of course. of course. That's the fun thing about the NCAA tournament, though, even with like the, you know, the experts and stuff. Like, nobody gets the tournament right. So it's like really no fun because you can act like you're an expert because no one knows what's going to happen. That's the beauty of the tournament as well. We'll talk more about. Cajuns volunteers later on on today's show that'll be coming up but right now we got to take a time out more rp3 and company coming up we'll unveil our poll question of the day that's next right here on the game this is rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros go subscribe to the game's youtube channel at the game louisiana That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. We got so excited talking about brackets that we forgot to mention it to you. So we're going to unveil it today, right now rather. Poll question of the day. It's very simple. Will the Raging Cajuns upset the Tennessee Volunteers tonight in the NCAA tournament? It's a 4-13 matchup. Cajuns have faced off with Tennessee twice before in the NCAA tournament. Close games. They faced off with them in the NIT back in the day. Can Jordan Brown beat Tennessee unlike what his father was unable to do back in the day? Can the Cajuns Bust some brackets tonight. Yes or no? Straightforward poll question of the day. Right now, 66% of you say yes. 34% of you say no. B-Rad says no. Unless Bob Marlin borrowed Marty Fletcher's Sunbelt tie. Oh, I love that reference. Side note, I had Jamal Williams on my fantasy team last year in goal-to-goal situations. That dude is money. Salty Steve says, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Go Cajuns. Oh, he's got he's got the Vermilion sunglasses on. <laughs> Ton says, absolutely. If they can hit threes, they can hit free throws, they can hit timely field goals, they get rebounds. But here's the thing: they're built to do that, and will be a uh, a match for Tennessee. They just have to believe. Some optimism on this poll question of the day: Will the Louisiana Rage Occasions upset the Tennessee Volunteers? Keep voting on it. Keep leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it throughout today's show. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming right up here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. 
Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. So much joy about the NCAA tournament. Every year, I get so excited about it. I fill out my bracket. I make tweaks to it. I get so excited about it. And then usually by 2.30, <laughs> or no, you know, no, actually what happens in reality, I usually have a good first day. And I get lulled into believing that I'm going to have a great bracket. And then Friday comes. And then I usually get destroyed late Thursday night or on Friday, and I'll lose a Final Four team in the first round. And I'll just be like, well, that was great. What's funny, too, which, again, as I've kind of already said, like, this is basically my Christmas morning. Like, I'm I'm, I'm really and – to, and for the Cajuns to be involved in it, it's, again, the first time that the Cajuns have been in the tournament since I've been, you know, a follower of the program. Back in 2014, I was still living in New Orleans. I didn't have much to do with the Cajuns. So, this means a lot. I, I was, like, I was so set on 2017 being the year when I was a freshman. It didn't work out. So – I already love the tournament, but it's a little more special now. I have a rooting interest that makes today a little more stressful. I can't inje- exactly enjoy all the games the way I normally would because I'll be thinking about the game at 840. But um, again, though, also it's a hammock game for me. I've decided that. The Cajuns already accomplished what I wanted them to do, which is getting to the tournament. So I'm going to try and treat it the way Foote's treating this Astros season, um, which he won't. <laughs> he but, won't. It's a, but it's he's going to say It's that. a complete lie. Kevin wants to tell everyone. Cat, I remember him telling me last year, Cat, it's a hammock season for your Braves, Cat. Just just sit back and relax, right? He wants to tell everyone else it's a hammock season or it's a medicine season, yet he never, never buys into the fact that the Saints are having a medicine season, for one. He'll tell you about your team if it's not the Saints having a medicine season, and he'll tell you about the history of medicine seasons. He'll do that, but he'll never admit that the Saints are having one. <laughs> and then he'll be like, it's a hammock season, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. The, the first time they drop a game to the Oakland Athletics, he is going to be livid. He is going to be livid and depressed. Well, well, no doubt. But and so and so back to what I was going to say about this the tournament picking thing. The great thing that I like about the tournament as well is when you have your bracket and you start watching these games. Most of these games too are, are going to be close anyway. Like we know that's how the tournament works. So the funny thing is when you when you get picks right, you sit there and go. I knew it. Duh. I'm the guy. I'm the guy who makes the picks. That's easy. I picked that one. And then if it's a close game and your team loses, especially if you picked an upset, you go, my logic was right there. They lost a close one. That's not my fault. I had it right. They just missed a shot at the end. Like I I put them in the right position to win the game. They didn't do it. And then if you, you know, when you win the close ones, you just, I'm the guy. I made the pick. But when you lose a close, so the only way you really sit there and go wrong is if, if you're, if a team you pick gets blown out, then you kind of go, well, yeah, maybe I got that one wrong. But then you can still try to kind of find a way to spin it and be like, well, look, I mean, it's just, you know, you're asking them to go up to Denver. The altitude's different. I mean, what were they expecting, right? So you can spin these results any way you want. Of course you can. And that's the beauty of it, really. We've, we have our brackets already done. We're just having a little friendly thing with the folks here at the game as we're doing this. And then we, we've printed about, I, you know how much fun I get if you're watching this on the simulcast, by the way, on Stadium Network 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber, you'll notice, obviously, 
D'Lo and yours truly were broadcasting live from inside the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. But just filling out this little form right here, this piece of paper, it, it means nothing. It's just a piece you, of paper. Could you raise that slightly for the people? There, there we go. you go. There we go. There you go. There we go. Just filling this out gives you so much pleasure and stress at the same time. No, and, and I, I've already kind of told you that I'm a little OCD <laughs> about my brackets, too. Like, I've, I've really got to... I got to have my really nice pen, which I, today I don't have it here, so that's but I got you taken care of. Okay, I, I got to have a nice crisp ink, you know. Yes, I can't make a mistake either. That's why I printed a couple extras. I said it was for other people. It's really for me if I make a mistake. <laughs> I got to have the nice aesthetically pleasing brackets too. Some of the brackets you'll see are just not, I not, I'm not a fan of them. Um, another thing that I love about the NCAA tournament, uh, I'm a bit of a broadcasting nerd myself as far as sports broadcasting. The score bug. That CBS and TBS and True TV and the 723 networks that they own that broadcast games in the tournament is almost, I think it's the perfect score bug in all of sports, which the score bug for is the scoreboard at the bottom of the screen. Right. It is so crisp. The font is perfect. The logos, the team colors are integrated, but they're not in your face. I just love it. And like some of the score bugs I haven't been a fan of in recent memory from some of the other networks with like Major League Baseball and, you know, Fox has these like 94 point font scores up there so i just appreciate that the score bug in my opinion is near perfect and that makes it just such a but these and again i've already talked a lot about the day today but like that moment right around i don't know one o'clock one thirty, where all the early starting games are going to be ending and by the way the staggered start times is such a thing of beauty you're watching a game and it's going to tick down and now you have a crazy buzzer beater to end the game and then all of a sudden you look up and this next game's got three minutes left and that one comes down and it, it's just, The it's next just, one's got three minutes left. It just left. keeps going. It keeps going, right? And, and then they give you a couple of breaks throughout the day where you have like an hour or so. You can kind of catch your breath, maybe eat something. And, th- and there'll be a lopsided game that you'll be like, okay, this is not all that interesting. And you're like, okay, now I can get a break. The other great thing about it, as much as fun as it is trying to figure out your Final Four, keeping track of that and trying to win an office pool and, and, and all that's great. What is just as memorable for me is when your bracket gets busted early. It's almost been 20 years. And I still remember it like it was yesterday. I'm working up in Alexandria at the Town Talk. We had an office pool. And I had Kentucky winning it all. They were on a tear this year. It's 2004. Do you remember what happened in the second round of the NCAA tournament to Kentucky in 2004? I can't say that I do. I was they fine. lost to UAB. Plucky Blazer squad that year, huh? 76-75. My whole bracket was just toast on the in the first weekend, man. And I was just like, oh. I remember, yeah, and it's funny too. You remember those upsets, and that's and that's why, too, I think the 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 logic that a lot of the NCAA and not necessarily them, but the you know, the broadcasting teams and whatever it is that have push the mid-majors out like that's the ones you really remember you know I honestly can't tell you a whole lot of uh you know Duke against Virginia second round matchups that I remember but I remember Lehigh beating Duke as a 15 seed in the first round of course you remember St. Peter's UMBC over Virginia like those are just right there but the other great thing I was thinking too the kind of the moment you think is that moment where a one seed's playing a 16 and you kind of got it on and it's it's maybe like it's 15 to 12 early on, the, the 16 seed's up, and you're sitting there going, oh, wow. And then you kind of get distracted with other games and you look back up and it's like 48 to 12. Yeah, the other way. The other team, act- <laughs> yeah, the team who's winning somehow has less points now and all of a sudden it's a 30-point game. And you're like, man, I thought maybe this, this was happened? the time. 
what just happened. And, and that UMBC game was just the it just never happened. And then and then UMBC pulled away inexplicably. That was just correct. That was crazy. But there it yeah. is. Uh, it's it, it's it's a ton of fun. It's also our poll question of the day. Well, at least one of the upsets. Will the Louisiana Raging Cajuns upset the Tennessee Volunteers? Yes, no. Straightforward type of poll question of the day. Once again, we will have NCAA tournament action on starting at 11 o'clock today, and they will last all day and all night, courtesy of our friends at Westwood One. And you're going to have a plethora of games. They're going to bounce around, right? That's how they're going to work it. But one of those games... That's going to be on tap for tonight for the first day of the first round of the NCAA tournament is the 13th seed Sunbelt Conference champions, Bob Marlin's team, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, trying to upset the Tennessee Volunteers. This will be the third team, third time they faced off in the NCAA tournament, and it'll be the fourth time overall in a postseason tournament because they also faced off in the NIT. Right now, 66% of you believe that the Cajuns can pull off the upset and take down the Tennessee Volunteers. Already had some good comments. Lil Neff says, if Williams is healthy and gives 10 to 15 points, low turnovers inside game, on point, great bench play, they could have a good opportunity to upset. Go Cajuns. JPK, the OD, says, yes, Tennessee has a history of choking at the big dance to a lesser opponent. I'm sure the Raging Cajuns are happy to quote, volunteer to fill that role this year. Ralph on Twitter says, I'll volunteer to answer that. Rocky Top, you're about to lose to a 14 seed. Go back home to Rocky Top. Rocky Top, Tennessee. Rocky Top, Tennessee. (laughs) Oh, man. I like that. I like that. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave those comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we will share them throughout today's show. While we have a few minutes here, give me your key to tonight's game because I know you have it. Yeah, it's 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 pretty simple. It's knockdown shots, and I'll elaborate on that because I outside think, shots as well. Yeah, no, right. well specifically and. There's layers to that because, again, Tennessee defensively is pretty good on, in defending the paint, and they're pretty good defending the three-point shot. That doesn't necessarily spell great things for the Cajuns because that's how they like to score. Um, but if you're able to hit a couple early and kind of, you know, it's funny how that works, in, especially in college basketball. You sometimes see knee-jerk reactions from teams, and maybe that's just the fact that you've got 18- to 22-year-old kids playing. Um You'll see guys, you know, change the way they're defended. And Themis Folks was able to do it against South Alabama, right? They dared him. They dared him to take three-point shots early on in that Sunbelt Championship game. He knocked down a couple. And now they still didn't come out on him. They didn't fully change what they did. But it changed the way that that the spacing on the floor kind of worked. And Themis was able to kind of get to the basket when he wanted to. He was able to do a lot of things. So if you can hit a few shots early... Even if they kind of neutralize Jordan Brown inside, you know Jordan's going to find a way to get a couple of buckets at you know at one point or another, and then that can maybe open up the driving to the basket. And then I think Greg Williams has to be good today. I mean, and I hope he's healthy enough. If he doesn't, you really need Dalcourt to have a career game the way he did in Pensacola. You know, Kentrell's a guy who has kind of faded down the stretch as an offensive player simply because he's a guy who really thrives on open looks. When he kind of gets forgotten about, he doesn't miss open looks. 
But when he gets challenged and contested out there, he's struggled. So I don't know how many, honestly, how many looks he's going to get against this good of a Tennessee team. Um, but those are kind of the keys for me is, is hit a couple of shots early. You have to get off to a quick start so that hopefully you can kind of change the way Tennessee feels like they have to defend you, and that can open up some things offensively for the rest of the game. You can't let Tennessee come out and get up on you like 15-5. to five. No, and, and like, the Cajuns you, you have can't. done that to other teams all year, remember? Correct. I mean, They've been a good first-half team. They've gotten better. Now they were a good second-half team, you know, being able to close out games against South Alabama and then in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. I agree with you. You're going to have to have one of those guards really step up and, and be good, like Themis was in the conference title game, where he came out of nowhere and they they took away other options and he was draining shots. Right? You'll need Themis to do that, or or Garnett, maybe Greg Williams, maybe even Kobe Julian coming off the bench. You're going to have to have someone, and I think probably two guys, just not one, probably two guys on the perimeter to be able to make buckets. Because they're going to try to take Jordan Brown out of the game. And we've seen teams try to take Jordan Brown out of the game, and he still finds a way to get a double-double. But I don't think you can depend on Jordan getting 30. No, he's like, not. You can't. And, well, it's going to be more like an 16-10 and 10 kind of day, 18 and maybe 12 kind of night, right? I think that's optimistic for what the big fella can do for the Cajun. So you're going to have to get help on the perimeter. And the interesting thing is... There's been some talk with how good Tennessee has, you know, the big guys on the inside defensively for them. They might not have to double Jordan, and that's going to be a big thing to see. Yeah. You know, if you're watching this game, pay attention the first two or three minutes. What does Tennessee do on number 21 inside the first few possessions? And when he gets touches, because, of course, they're going to work it inside to him, do they, you know, rotate immediately and try to trap, double, get the ball out of his hands? Do they try to let their guy early on just play one-on-one and see how they do? Do they kind of you know go with a matchup zone type thing? I, I I'm I'm intrigued. I did want to bring up one thing because we've talked about the lack of success the Cajuns have had against Tennessee in a couple of postseason tournaments. There was a phantom call back in 2000 that was really against them. But yes. we were reminded by a caller earlier in the week on Foot Show, I believe, um, that they have had some success against Tennessee in the regular season. It was a crisp, cool day, uh, December 27, 1985. I know I remember this game. Well, you know, do you remember that one? Of course. The Cajuns win at 79-78 in the Louisiana Superdome. So, while the postseason success hasn't necessarily been there, the Cajuns do have a win over Tennessee, and it's kind of interesting how many times these teams have matched up, right? They've played for teams that aren't in the same conference and don't have, you know, a regional connection to play often. They've uh, they've run into each other quite a few times over the years. So um, that's that's something to keep in mind. That 1985 game, I don't know if the people in Knoxville have forgotten about that one, but um, that's one to, to keep an eye on. <laughs> I like that. I like that. It's tourney time, man. Whew. Brackets are getting filled out. Adjustments are being made to them. And we'll all be glued to our radio dolls or to our television sets uh, in this entire weekend. we got to take a timeout. Come back. Hey, UL conducted its pro day yesterday. We'll get some thoughts from some of the Cajun stars trying to make it to the NFL. Dawson was there firsthand to see all the lifting of the weights and the jumping of the broads and the 40 runs and all the other stuff. That's coming up next right here on RP3 and Company. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, for one, of course, it was my 40, you know, being a big guy. You know, they want to make sure I can run and get vertical down the seam. So um, I, I, I did great on that. Uh, you know, me and the Jets, a scout had a bet going. You know what I'm saying? He had the under, uh, over and under, set 475. That was the dollar came from. It's over there. Uh, at the bowl game, we bet it. Uh, he said if I run a 475 or over here, he'll work me out of tackle. I was a tackle. Uh, so uh, I ran under that, right? So uh, he gave me a dollar. So I'm going to go spend that dollar. Uh, great. Uh, like I said, though, I'll just side. No, it was a great experience. Like I said, the vertical great. Uh, I, I, nothing in particular was great. I just want to make sure I have an overall day. I didn't want to get too high, get too low based off the drums. My first forty, I was a little nervous at first. I, I'm not even gonna lie to you, uh, cause I love y'all. Uh, yeah, my first forty, I was tripping a little bit. Like I was thinking, like, here we go. I'm taunting myself, like, man, here we go. But I ain't get official time though, you know. So that was the thing. In my head, I'm thinking it was slow, so I ran harder the second time. But I ended up having a great time on both of them. So it was just like I said, preparing for the opportunity. The man is a treasure. That of course is Johnny Lumpkin, tight end, and a man who can absolutely just take over a room talk about anything <laughs> oh man and i don't know he, he was talking about a million miles a minute there so i don't know if anybody caught that but what he i think what he said the scout told him is if he didn't run below a 475 he was going to write him he was going to scout him as an offensive tackle and not a tight end that's what he was joking with about <laughs> so he said he had to run under 475 because the jet scout was going to mark him down as an offensive tackle if he was too slow of the guys that took part in the pro day, and there were several of them yesterday for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, Braylon Trahan, Chris Smith, Air Guerrero, John Stevens Jr., Johnny Lumpkin, Reese Burns, right? Lots of guys took part in it. And a host of others. There were 16 players Jefferson yeah. was there as well. Uh, of the guys that I feel confident about, I feel like Jefferson's a draft pick. I feel like, he, without question, he he's a guy that's going to get drafted probably fifth, sixth, seventh round. After that, I don't know if there's going to be another Cajun drafted. I think there's going to be a lot of guys signed to practice squads. I think there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to get invites to training camp. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I, I think uh, Andre Jones is, is certainly a name to to keep an eye on he's a pass rusher he didn't do a lot yesterday uh, he was there but he didn't participate participate in a lot of the drills um just kind of out of person again some of these guys compete at you know if they get invited to the nfl combine like michael jefferson did um and some of them can you know do private workouts things like that so it's up to them and if they're not necessarily feeling the best maybe they're if they're dealing with some sort of an injury again you don't want to go out and put subpar numbers down uh, just to put numbers down so but, but Jefferson and Jones also are guys that went through some of the all-star game right so they NFL some showcases. of these scouts have seen them already and know right them. so okay uh yeah Andre it's he'd be a late round guy though it's it, he's not a surefire guy to get drafted now I personally and I he was in my Saints mock draft that we unveiled yesterday on the YouTube channel I love the idea of taking him in the sixth or seventh round again he's a guy who's He's and, and NFL guys love this. The Saints have been, you know, raw athletic score. He's a guy who played wide receiver in high school. He actually played against me in high school. 
So shout out to the Haynes Yellow Jackets because they played against we played against Andre Jones back in high school. Um, this man. We, we did not win the game, but he's a guy who played receiver in high school, right? And then came over as a skinny six four wide receiver. And the Cajuns said, "What about if we tried this guy at defensive end?" And you know, four years later, they develop him into a possible NFL draft pick. I think he's a possibility. I also was surprised that Eric Gear did not get an invite to the combine, did not get an invite to the Senior Bowl. This guy is a good defensive player, but a great special teamer. And we've seen this before with other guys. Raymond Calais springs to mind. You can get drafted and you can make it on an NFL roster for a couple years if you can contribute as a special teamer. Well, yeah, and, and Eric, actually, you, you mentioned not getting invited to the Combine. That was one thing, and we don't have the clip of it here, but he said how upset he was that he didn't get invited to the Combine. Like, that was a big thing for him. He wanted, you know, and we kind of talked about the pro day, and he said, yeah, this this wasn't exactly what I had in mind, right? I, I wanted to be in Indianapolis. I wanted to be at the Senior Bowl and things like that, and I didn't get the chance to. Uh, but then we did, you know, he was able to talk about kind of the role of what NFL teams have been talking to him. Maybe he's going to play a little bit of nickel, but he knows his values on special teams. Um, everybody I talked to, they they talked to me about about playing nickel for uh, and on defense. Then special team, they say yeah, that's why I probably made my money at because I'm I'm number one in the, in the country at special team, punt return, and, and I'm very good at. It, so that's a big thing I, that I can contribute to. You can look, especially now, it's so hard for teams to find special teams players. Because so many guys are specialty guys where they don't even play special teams anymore. And the Cajuns do a very nice job of having even some of their best players also play special teams, right? Uh, his name escapes me. He wasn't drafted. He went undrafted. He played for the Commanders this year. The year before, he was a turnover machine in the secondary for the Cajuns. And he could play special teams. And he was on Washington's roster this just last year. His name escapes me. The defensive back. Michael Jacquet or no, he's in the Eagles. No, huh? you're killing me. Well, I, I, I'm sorry. I thought you were Mr. Raging Cajun. I am, but I, you caught me off guard there. Commanders roster in the secondary. You say he played in the secondary for the Cajuns. You gonna make me look this up? This is great radio. Uh, amazing radio. Looking up <laughs> rosters, always awesome. Well, but again. And, and while you're kind of getting on that... Percy Butler, dude. Oh, yeah, of course. We, we, we failed. We I was thinking better. more... I was thinking further back, a guy who maybe was drafted three or four years ago. That's why I was trying to think of, like, the Tracy Walker, Michael Jaquette guys, but... No, Percy is yeah. a guy that went undrafted, and he's made the roster for Washington because not only it, he has a knack for forcing turnovers on defense, but he's a great special team player. So if you can find a way to do that, you're going to have an opportunity to stick in the league. You can become a niche guy and then prove yourself on special teams and then make and then become get more and more playing time. That's a great way of doing that. Got to give you a producer's note. Percy Butler was taken in the fourth round. Oh, there we go. It's okay, though. It's okay. That's okay. Thank you. you <laughs> it, was, look, it was a scramble to find information. There, it's tough. Okay, There, there it is. But no, and, and that's the thing, you know, and yesterday, look. I. That's right. It was two years ago already. Yeah, oh, crazy, man. right? I haven't, you know, been covering. This was my first time covering the exhilaration and the just pure electricity that is a pro day that lasts for five hours. But 
Now, part of the reason it lasted that long is because the Cajuns... So salty. <laughs> no, look, and honestly, though, the workouts were awesome. Like, when those guys were getting on the bench rack and some of them Sorry. were putting down numbers. Michael Jefferson putting down 20 bench press reps, which, I mean... Or, excuse me, John Stevens putting down 20 bench press reps. That's right, your man John Stevens Jr. He, he, you said, you said, what did he, you say? You said he destroyed the bench. He literally did. I mean, it was great. Like, the, the rack almost fell apart underneath the weight of how much he was lifting. But, um... No, he was impressive, and and John Stevens was impressive in all aspects of the the measurables. And now, that's been John Stevens' thing, right? He's always been a guy who had great size, great speed. Looks it's the been part. about can he put it together? And he didn't necessarily have an underwhelming Cajuns career. Uh, he made some plays, especially down the stretch, but he certainly didn't live up to something like what Michael Jefferson did, right? And that last year, Jefferson separated himself and became a number one receiver and put himself in a draft consideration. But John Stevens is going to find his way on an NFL roster, whether it's a combine invite. Now, will he make the you know the roster heading into the season? That's going to depend on if he can put it together and, and it's all catch about the ball consistently, right? right? He wasn't consistent at TCU. You thought he was going to come down to the Sun Belt and tear up the league, and because of his the way he's built and how athletically gifted he is, but it just never happened. It just never happened. Now for Jefferson, he went from what Alabama State, right, out of the swack and came into the Sun Belt, and after a year, he just took over. So. We'll talk more about UL Pro Day on tomorrow's show. We'll get you more clips from all the guys, Eric Garrard, John Stevens, Reese Burns. We'll dive deeper into that tomorrow, give you a little bit more of a sample of Raging Cajun Pro Day on tomorrow's edition of RP3 and Company. Right now, though, it's time for us to take a timeout, and when we return, our buddy Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports, sports betting analyst. Ooh, you want some recommendations? You need some insight? Filling out those brackets, making your tweaks to your bracket before the game starts today? Lee's our guy. That's coming up next. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. NCAA tournament tips off today for the men. First four is wrapped up. We get the first round action today. Of course, we're going to be having game coverage for you at starting at 11 o'clock all the way throughout tonight. That's right. Wall-to-wall NCAA tournament coverage courtesy of our friends at Westwood One. Now, if you're still tweaking your bracket, if you're still trying to fill those bad boys out because you're trying to win your office pool or just trying to have bragging rights or maybe you're just trying to have fun because it is a blast filling out the brackets, it's time for you to pay attention because we're going to talk the tournament and we're going to talk some interesting betting lines with the tournament, with our sports betting analysts that we trust the most here in RP3 and Company. Our friend Lee Sterling from Paramount Sports joins us. Lee, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm good. Um, calm <laughs> before the storm. <laughs> it's been a long couple days. I've probably done close to 80 radio and TV hits. Uh, so I've got yours and two more, and then the tourney starts, and... The parade of friends come over and watch games, and we bet 
games and we eat a lot of food. So uh, I'm a football guy first, but uh, uh, the next four days, greatest four days in sports, in my opinion. Also, obviously a ton of money gets bet on the Super Bowl, but a ton of money gets bet on the NCAA tournament. Uh, What's some of the, I don't know, the the most popular bets when it comes to betting on the tournament? Is it uh, picking the 5-12 upset? Is it just simply putting together a Final Four? Is it what double-digit seed makes it to the Sweet 16? What two seed gets eliminated in the round of 32? Uh, we I'll have all types of different types of trends. What's the one that's really, really popular? Probably the 512. I mean, the 512 is, has been uh, a cash cow. So, you know, it, it could be again. I mean, there's some real potential perfect scenarios as far as 512. I mean, the public loves Drake. I mean, they are all over Drake. That line started at three and a half. Miami's only a one and a half point favorite. Um, Right now, uh, like 72% of the money is coming in on Drake, but I got a good report uh, from someone inside the Miami program. Omer is probably going to play, almost definitely going to play, and probably going to be 85 90%. So I think it's a bad matchup for Drake. You know, sometimes people just look at the numbers and, you know, bet these things blindly. If you want to look at a trend that really has – come through the last decade and and kind of a hidden trend no one's talked about it it's teams that have won 30 or more games that are not from power conferences or not named gonzaga they are not 10 and 2 against the spread 10 and 2 straight up and all 12 have been underdogs one of those is a 12 charleston 31 and 3 against Number five, San Diego State. Uh, love their senior guard, Dalton Bolton, and they also have a 6'10 center from Croatia, Ante Brovic. These two inside-outside guys are, are really good. Just no one sees them on TV. And then another one is number 12, VCU against St. Mary's. St. Mary's has played awful the last couple weeks. They play a slowdown game. So do you really want to lay four-and-a-half points against a team like VCU that uses a full-court press and only allows 63.1 points per game? I don't. And and talk about great names. And this guy might make a name for himself. This could be a team that wins a couple games and makes a sweet 16. VCU, their guard, his name is Ace Baldwin. He's got to be one of the best names of the tournament. <laughs> I like that. I actually have uh, the VCU uh, upset in in my bracket. Now, let me ask you this. Something else that's that's happened is that we've had a little bit more frequency of four or four seeds being upset or three seeds being upset as well. Is there one that's trending with the betting line that's you know kind of piqued your interest, Lee, of money being put down for another one of those upsets that's happened a little bit more regular of late? Not really, not really. I mean, you know, I'm I'm looking. You know, there. You know, one year. You know, someone can, you know, <laughs> you can see certain seeds, certain types of, you know, trends come up. But the 512 and then this, you know, this this thing with, with teams that win 30 or more games, that means they're really good teams. You know, uh, if you only lose two, three, four games during the season, you're a really strong team. So uh, those are the two that I'm looking at most. 
going through each bracket, uh, I think the South is, is going to be the one bracket where we're going to see uh, the top seeds, you know, get through. And, and this is a wide-open year. Normally only, I think, five or six teams have a legitimate chance of winning. This might be the year we're 10 to 12. I think it's Alabama and Arizona. And I like this Alabama team a lot. I think they're going to get through. In the East, uh, a lot of people like Purdue. I don't. Uh, I think that Duke can match up with them with bigs. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, Tennessee's going to have to get through your raging Cajuns in the first round. I like the raging Cajuns here, plus the points. I think it's way too many here. And I think Tennessee might be looking ahead to play Duke. So uh, um, I'm going to go with, with Duke in the East and the Midwest. I, everyone's talking about Houston, you know, maybe playing at home in the Final Four. I like Texas. If Texas gets by Texas A&M, who I think will beat Penn State in the first round, uh, that's a real good matchup. Two teams that are over and under seeded are, are in this region. It's Indiana, a four seed. I know they finished second in the Big Ten. They had no business being seeded fourth. They were 12-8 and eight in conference play, and I thought a very mediocre. Some people like the Big Ten, but you know, the difference between the second and the eighth best team isn't very much there. And then Texas A&M, they do not like Texas A&M, the committee. Last year, I thought they deserved to be in. This year, they finished second in the SEC, and they give them a seven seed. Are you kidding me? And then they're going to play Penn State, one of the hottest teams in the country. And then if they win that, they got to face the team they wouldn't play anymore in football, the Texas Longhorns. They're hated rivals. So I like Texas. I think Texas is playing great basketball. Uh, the question is, when will they <laughs> announce they finally, you know, going to, uh, they're in them coach. When is he going to be the permanent coach? And then in the, the, the West, I like UConn here. A bunch of teams maybe deserved their seeding like UCLA, but UCLA's got two injuries. They could be down two starters as a number two seed. Give me UConn here. So uh, that's the way I see it right now. So that leads me to my next question because another thing that's happened over the last 10 years, and we've seen this, and I think this is a big reflection of parity in college basketball and how things are now. We routinely have a number two seed lose in the round of 32. They don't make mm -hmm. it to the Sweet 16. Which two seed do you look at and you go, eh, that's a team I don't think is making the Sweet 16? Uh, well, I, I think it's number one, UCLA. I think Northwestern can take them out. And also uh, Marquette. Marquette's going to have to play uh, possibly Michigan State. And Tom is, as we know, a lot of, a lot of tournament pedigree there. And uh, the other two, I think Texas and Arizona, will take out either Utah State or Missouri and also uh, Texas A&M or Penn State. So those, that's the most vulnerable, those two, as far as two seats. There's always – Another trend, Lee, as you know, there's always a double-digit seed that makes it to the Sweet 16. What double-digit seed do you like to make it to the second weekend? I would say, I would say Charleston. I think Charleston, as a 12 seed, is really dangerous. And also, uh, uh, people love Drake, but, but VCU. I think VCU is a team that, you know, if they beat St. Mary's, look out. Um, 
you know, I know I love UConn, but UConn <laughs> is going to have their hands full. So those are those are two of the high seeds. Um, Thirteens, you know, they've been popular lately, but this year they're going to have a tough time. I think they're the matchups. You got to look at each game individually, and and things can change, you know, on a dime. So uh, you look what happened in the World Baseball Classic. You know, a pitcher celebrating a win might have tore his ACL. I mean, crazy. Crazy things happen. You mentioned earlier about 30 win teams, right? Yep. And, and and we got a couple of those. And, you know, you like Duke to beat Oral Roberts in that 5-12 matchup. Oral Roberts is 30-4. and four. What about that 8-9 matchup? I thought Florida Atlantic deserved better. I probably thought Memphis deserved better as well. But Memphis, Florida Atlantic, the Owls are 31-3, and three, well, a, a tremendous season. Uh, what do you make of them, and do you think they could win their first-round game and upset number one seed Purdue? I love FAU. There are three teams this year. You know, there's only been 12 in the last 10 years that fall into that scenario. I love FAU. Watched them all year. Went up to a couple other games, and Memphis had to scramble just to get into the tournament. Uh, the, the third one is Oral Roberts, and this is crazy. Duke is only a six-point favorite right now against Oral Roberts. This line should have been nine and a half, ten. They are begging you to play Duke. They want all your money. I can see a, a scenario where Oral Roberts keeps it close and loses by three, four, five points. So uh, even though I think Duke's going to come out and make it, uh, these three 30-win teams are really dangerous. So um, I would certainly look to take uh, Oral Roberts and FAU also. All right, Lee, we'll wrap it up with this, brother. What's your final four? What's your national title matchup? So I'm going to go with Alabama and Duke on one side and Texas and UConn on the other. And they aren't football schools anymore. Alabama and Texas uh, matchup in the finals. And the Texas Longhorns, without a permanent head coach yet, win the title because Colt McCoy doesn't go down in the first series. <laughs> <laughs> bravo sir bravo lee appreciate your time brother keep up the tremendous work you're doing with paramount sports can't wait to talk to you again bud good luck with the bracket yeah anyone wants to get involved we won now 34 of the last 40 days in basketball this is probably one of the greatest runs we've ever had in basketball so seeing things clearly hopefully hopefully it continues we won eight of the last 10 tournaments anyone wants to get involved 197 dollars for the entire tournament also, my NIT selections. We are also going to give you our top NBA play of the day, top hockey play, top XFL play. There's an XFL game today. We're seven and two in the XFL and have won all four weeks there. And our top UFC selection Saturday night. We have a very rare 50 unit uh, max wager there. So $197. It was $397 for the tournament alone last year. Just one place. ParamountSports.com. Thank you, brother. Thanks, buddy. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team, I got one college team, I got one Major League Baseball team. And the big fella's also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for, that's who I support, period. Call me old-fashioned. The end. Call me old-fashioned, that's fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Poll question of the day. Will the Louisiana Raging Cajuns upset the Tennessee Volunteers? 61% of you say yes. 39% say no. Get to some comments here. Ralph also says, and after the upset, a 30 for 30 special will be made. Louisiana versus Tennessee. Revenge of the Suns. Let's go. Lee Sterling's high on the Cajuns. He says that point spread, too high. He's picking the Cajuns. Taking the Cajuns to take down the Volunteers. That man makes a living by betting and giving other people advice on betting. Just saying. Just saying. I do like his picks. I'm higher on Purdue, though. I'm sticking to my guns. <laughs> I'm the Boilermakers winning it all. And you're right on that. So good for you. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure they won't let me down like they do every year. We got to take a timeout. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. We'll kick it off with Les East right here on the game. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. on the clock, which means final hour of RP3 and Company has arrived on this Thursday morning. Coming up half an hour from right now, Scott Rabelais from the Baton Rouge Advocate will be joining us, talking a little LSU women's hoops. They'll tip off in the NCAA women's tournament tomorrow night. We'll also talk some other LSU stuff with Rabs. That's coming up. But right now, here on RP3 and Company, it's time for us to talk Saints and talk Pelicans with our guy from ChristmasCitySports.com, the one and only Mr. Les East. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Raymond. How are you? I am doing extremely well. So let's dive right into the New Orleans Saints. A flurry of activity this week. They get the Derek Carr deal done, so they got their quarterback locked up. But a big surprise was that Mickey Loomis was able to bring Jameis Winston back knowing that he's going to be the backup and got him to sign a team-friendly deal. What do you make of them being able to execute that? Yeah, I did not see that coming. Uh, uh, My assumption was that um, because of the way things uh, went last season with them not um, allowing Jameis to regain his starting position after he got healthy enough to play and him expressing – 
uh, disappointment at that. And with Derek Carr coming in to be the starter, I, I thought if any incumbent were going to be the number two quarterback, it would probably be Andy Dalton, who was who a free agent, um, because that's why he was brought in last year, was to be the number two. And I, I just figured they would let Jameis go and, and save the, the salary. So it surprised me that they were able to work that out. I, I think it, one, it suggests that they've cleared the air and uh, they put last season behind them and that Jameis is uh, satisfied to be the number two. I'll be curious to talk to him the next time we have the, the opportunity um, to, to see what he, why this was an attractive position for him when I, I thought he would try and find a place where he might be able to compete to be the starter, but maybe he didn't see uh, an opportunity such as that out there. I, I'm not sure... But it surprised me that it happened, but I think it's good for both sides that it did happen and that they were able to uh, make it work. And we could go ahead and put the Hendon Hooker being drafted in the second round talk to bed too, which uh, is is a relief for many of us, including myself. So <laughs> quarterbacks now taken care of. They also come together with another deal that surprised a lot of folks. Not only does Mickey get Michael Thomas to commit to playing for the Saints again, and he apparently he's happy to work with Derek Carr and he's excited, he gets that big massive contract off the books by having Thomas and the Saints agree to a what I would consider a team-friendly one-year deal for the former All-Pro wide receiver. What do you make of the deal with Michael Thomas? Yeah, I think that was a great deal. Um, it, it seems like Mike is... Uh, very excited uh, to be playing with Derek Carr. Derek Carr was uh, effusive in his praise of uh, Mike uh, based on the phone conversations they had when Mike recruited him to sign with the Saints. Um, So having not only presumably or at least hopefully a healthy Michael Thomas, but a happy Michael Thomas, uh, maybe for the first time since he first got hurt, uh, I think is significant. What we'll see, you know, how effective he is after three seasons lost almost exclusively to injury. Um, but, uh, you know, anything they get out of him this year, I think, is a bonus. And potentially, if he plays anything close to the way he played prior to the injuries, you're adding an all pro receiver. So that that's a tremendous possibility there and they really have nothing to lose the the contract was very well structured uh from the saints point of view there are a lot of incentives that will allow mike to to make a lot of money if he's able to to uh to play and be productive and then he'll be a free agent next year and we'll get the big bucks if he proves he's healthy and effective so another really good deal for both sides and i think that's really a bonus for the Saints because that was kind of trending a couple of months ago when they first restructured the deal. It looked like they were putting themselves in position to release Mike probably after June 1, and the Derek Carr situation, I think, is what tilted it in the other direction. And so an, another significant positive move for the Saints and for the player involved. Now that they got the Thomas deal locked up, what does this do with their off-season mindset when it comes to the wide receiver position? 
Well, I think it's still on their checklist of something they would like to address, but it's not uh, an urgent need at this point. Um, they are going to lose Deontay Hardy to uh, free agency, but I think that they knew that was going to happen. Um, uh, Rashid Shahid uh, is the same type of player, and he was younger, healthier, and uh, cheaper. Uh, so I, I don't think they really expected Hardy to return. And with Thomas Olave and Shahid, uh, th- that's a pretty good group to start with. Uh, they could use some more depth, and I think they will address it uh, at some point uh, in free agency or the draft. But it's not where they go. They don't go into free agency or the draft saying we have to get an impact wide receiver. Let- let's find good value out there and bolster the depth. So it, it gives them more uh, flexibility for sure at the wide receiver position. But I still think it's something they're going to address at some point. We're talking with Les East of ChristmasCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company talking Saints, talking Pels. All right, let's talk about the busy day that was yesterday. Let's talk about in early in the week, they lose Onyemata, they lose uh, Shy Tuttle. Uh, I felt both of those guys got overpaid by the Falcons and the Panthers, and then obviously Kay Nellis also left, and Marcus Davenport left. So four members of their front seven departed, even though Ellis was a rotational guy and so was Shy. But I thought they did an excellent job yesterday getting two mammoth D tackles, one from the Jets, one from the Chiefs. What do you make of those two big fellas coming to New Orleans? Yeah, I think they they mitigated the the two losses. I, I think they it, it was understood that they were probably not going to be able to pay Anyamata what he was going to get on the open market. Uh, Shy Tuttle was a nice player as well. Will always be a fan favorite for for what he did on Thanksgiving night a few years ago to Matt Ryan after the interception. Uh, you know the, the stiff arm that will. Um, I'll always live in the hearts of Saints fans. Um, so it, that, that was a loss. Both of them were losses, but they mitigated those losses with the two guys they signed. We knew going in that they were going to lose a, uh, some defensive linemen. I think you know five of their top defensive linemen were going to be free agents. They weren't going to be able to keep them all. They lost three of them in one day, but I think we knew Davenport wasn't going to be back. So they basically replaced the two defensive tackles uh, quite well. So that worked out fine. I think they were prepared to lose Davenport. Caden Ellis was a revelation last year when he was able to play because of injuries. Uh, But again, I think you make the important point, which was that a lot of these guys were overpaid and they chose not to overpay to keep them. And so uh, this happens every year in free agency is you lose contributors and you try and replace them with contributors that are just as good, if not better, and uh, more economically sound contracts are involved. And I think that's kind of what they've done on the defensive line thus far. They still have some work to do. uh, But so far, uh, I think they've done a pretty good job of handling that. The big stunner yesterday was the news coming out that they got Jamal Williams, the man who led the NFL in rushing touchdowns a year ago with 17, had 1,000 yards rushing, 
Uh, he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on those tires, less because he was a guy that split carries for the first five years of his career in Green Bay. They get a guy at 27 years old, and they sign him to a three-year deal for only $12 million. They addressed the running back spot in a huge way yesterday, right, Les? Absolutely. You know, I think, uh, you know, we all realized that they had to address running back uh, because Mark Ingram's not going to be back, so you need a second running back who's going to be productive, but you also have to have an insurance policy because you expect that Alvin Kamara is going to be suspended probably for a significant number of games. So running back was going to be really important. And so they had to get somebody who was going to be uh, a contributor for the entire season and probably your starting running back for maybe a third of the season. And I don't know that anybody thought that a running back the quality of Jamal Williams was going to be the guy they were going to be able to get to fill that role. So I was surprised when I saw he was the guy they were able to land for that need. And I think after Derek Carr, that's clearly the biggest thing they've been able to do. Of course, Mike Thomas, uh, the turnaround there was important also, but he was already on the contract to get Jamal Williams to come in under these circumstances for that price, uh, I think it's a, it's a huge bargain and, and takes another big need off of their checklist uh, at running back. So they addressed the tackle, they addressed running back, they restructured Thomas's contract, and they took care of quarterback this offseason so far. That gives them all types of flexibility now heading into the NFL draft and the rest of free agency uh, still as well. What do you think their approach is going to be now after they address some of these big needs with the draft? Well, I I think it removes defensive tackle from being uh, a top priority in the draft. I think they still have some work to do there, but it's not necessarily something they were going to do that they have to do in the first round, which I think was a real possibility before. Uh, defensive end is something they're going to have to address with Davenport leaving, but I think it it clearly makes uh, offensive line uh, a big need because I think that that's the biggest need, especially on the interior. We'll see what happens with Andrus Pete, but the uh, interior of the offensive line was is probably the biggest need that has not yet been addressed. So uh, I still think both lines of scrimmage are uh, on their radar. Uh, for the draft, especially at the top of the draft. But now they're kind of in the position they like to be in. I think every team likes to be in where they can pick the best player on their board and they don't have to say, well, this guy probably doesn't belong in this spot where we're going to pick, but it's such a dire need we're going to have to reach for him. I think they can steer clear of that uh, in good conscience and go with the best player available and they'll hope that that best player is either an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, but it does give them flexibility. So uh, they're off to a good start. And, you know, I think a lot of the stuff that we expected to happen in free agency we thought might happen after the draft in the second wave. I'm a little surprised at how well they've been able to do in this first wave of free agency. We'll get you out of here with this, Les. i got to ask you a Pelicans question because – I, I, I've lost faith that this team 
is going to do anything, even if it does make the play-in tournament. I've seen lifeless performance against Oklahoma City, and I've seen a lifeless performance against a LeBron-less Lakers team. We still don't have Zion coming back. I I know they play the Rockets and Spurs coming up, but I I really have lost almost all faith that this team can really do anything of substance the rest of the way. Are you still holding out the belief that they can turn things around? No, I think that the the ceiling for them is to do what they did last year, which would be to uh, survive the play-in tournament, win a couple of games, get into the playoffs, and then lose to the number one seed, which would probably be Denver at this point. Uh, I don't see any way they can win a playoff series, even if Zion Williamson comes back. I don't know if they're going to make the play-in tournament. I'm just saying the best-case scenario is that they match what last year's team did. And given the disparity in expectations, that would be a huge disappointment. And uh, and let's not put down the Rockets at this point. The Rockets beat the Lakers last night. Even though it was a back-to-back after the game against the Pelicans, they were able to uh, sit guys because they were up by 1,000 points. And the Rockets beat the Celtics a few days ago, and they've been very competitive of late. So anybody who thinks they're going to go into Houston and grab two wins on Friday and Sunday I think is getting way ahead of themselves. At this point, I would say a split would be the best they're going to do in Houston. Les, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work and enjoy your upcoming weekend, my friend. Thanks, Raymond. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you think RP3 is the only nickname Ray has? Think again. There was Little Vainant. There was Little Foot, Little Bubba. There was LD, which stood for Little Dufo. There was Ray Dog. There was Ray Diggity Dog. There was Fish. There was Fish Face. There was RP3. There was even Ramundo from El Segundo. Back to the host with more nicknames than he knows what to do with. RP3, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company right here on the game. We are, of course, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Don't forget to vote on that poll question of the day. Let's be honest. None of us are going to attack the course like Scotty Shuffler did at TPC Sawgrass Stadium course last weekend for the Players' Championship, but you can improve your golf game. And we've been talking a lot about how to do that with some methods and some things that they teach you through the Skill Masters app with their golf pro, the man they trust to teach children, teenagers, and adults alike. Thomas Wartell joins us here. Thomas, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Man, great to uh Great to hear from you, man. The weather's perfect. Golf bug is getting around. Uh, Masters is right around the corner. Can we just take a moment before we dive in and talk about just how Scotty Shuffler has just taken over the world of golf? Yeah, and you know what's what's impressive about him is uh, uh, if you look at his tour stats, he doesn't really lead the category in, in any one individual stats, but he's better than most at the tour level in all the stats. 
So he's basically across the board. So his approach is not to be just like the dominant driver or the dominant short game, but he's actually good. He's above average on the tour average of every single category, whether it's driving, uh, distance, uh, fairways and regulations, up and down. So he's he's above average in everything, and that's why he's uh, so consistent. I watched him over the weekend, and uh, shout out to my wife, Tina, for uh, loving golf and actually sitting there and watching the Players' Championship with me. But the thing I noticed about Scotty is, you know, there were some of those holes that the young man that was with him, Lee, outdrove him, and it didn't matter. Like, Scotty always had the right approach shot, or Scotty always had the great chip in, like he did a couple times over the weekend. And, you know, you're a guy that plays the game. You're a guy who helps people play the game better. How much is the mental fortitude, how much is keeping yourself calm matter when it comes to the game of golf? Oh, it's massive. It's it's the one game where self-control is the uh, the, the, the prime uh, prime objective. I mean, in every other game, like football, you know, something bad happens, you can just go hit somebody harder, or baseball, you can swing harder or throw harder or whatever. But in golf, you swing harder, and it doesn't necessarily equate to uh, positive results. So uh, it's, it's about the, the only first thing you can really control on the golf course is yourself. You can't control your opponents. It's not like a, a, a game where you are uh, playing defense against an opponent. So you can't really uh, uh, you can't control your competitors, and you can't control the, with the conditions, the weather conditions, nor the golf course conditions. So all you can do is control your emotions and yourself. And, you know, one of the things we talk about, especially like at Skillmasters, is when we get to the higher elite players, and even even for the the, the weekend warriors, is I, I don't want to change anybody's personality. So if somebody's kind of high strung, and and that's the way they play the game. We want to soften that and and use that personality. If somebody's like an Ernie Els, well, you keep them an Ernie Els. If somebody is a aggressive uh, fighter, like uh, let's say Rory McIlroy is kind of more aggressive. Then, then you don't want to really change their personality because under pressure, what happens is you typically go back to your natural instincts. Now, if you have an anger anger problem, that's definitely something. But if somebody gets angry after a bad shot, you may look like an idiot on the court, but the key is not to carry that anger into the next shot. So I don't typically try to change somebody's personality. If somebody gets mad and bangs the club a little bit, I don't really care. That's fine. As long as he does not continue to drag that anger. The other thing is, is it, it takes a lot more energy to beat yourself up and be angry for five hours than it does to stay in kind of a zone. And I think uh, Mr. Schaffler, he does stay in a great zone. He's got a great caddy, and uh, Ted Scott as well, who helps him kind of stay in the zone. You know, Lee Trevino, back in the old days, his zone was he talked to all the time. In real life, Lee Trevino wasn't really that talkative, but he talked on the golf course. That's how he got rid of his energy. Ben Hogan wouldn't say a single word to you on the golf course. That's the way he dealt it. So you have to find your your space. You you obviously don't want to carry the anger into the next shot, but if getting angry and letting some of that vent out is the way you get rid of it, that's perfectly fine with me as long as you don't drag it into the next shot. Yeah, as long as you don't become happy Gilmore out on the golf course, you should be good. Yeah, I mean, you also don't. It also looks foolish, you know, throwing clubs and banging clubs or whatever. But you know, you know, every great player at some point was frustrated 
and you know they may have kind of beat themselves up right after the last shot or whatever they do to to vent that anger. But you know, by the time they get to the, I think of Tiger. Tiger was hard on himself, but by the time he got to the next shot, it was done and over with. He lives in the present. He doesn't live in the past, and he doesn't live in the future. He lives in the moment of what do we have to do to go through a systematic system to hit this golf ball from point A to point B. You guys are helping so many people out with the Skill Masters app and helping young golfers and teenage golfers and even, like you said, weekend warriors, you know, work on their game and improve. And you have your method that you, you know, live by and that you teach by. Uh, let me ask you this. For someone who signs up for the Skill Masters app and wants to become a better golfer, you know, obviously you guys go through the whole thing, your analytics, your process, your evaluation period, all that's great. And that goes into what you guys do. But just a basic tip, what's one of the first things if someone hasn't played the game on a consistent basis and they're not even a weekend warrior and they want to get better, what are some things that the folks can do at home that you recommend doing every day, even if it's only for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever it is, what are some basic things for golf that you recommend people doing when they have some free time? Okay, so one of the probably the most fundamentals is after you understand or can establish a decent grip or you know, we explain the grip, or you, you use the Skillmaster app to to uh, to get your hands on the club properly. We actually we sell here, and I make them, and I we have different models, but we have little sharp clubs, and it looks like a little club for a two year old, but it's actually a real golf club. And one of the things I recommend is every time you sit down on the couch or whatever you're watching the, uh, the the tournament, you should have that golf club in your hand, gripping it. So you're working on your grip and you're making sure it's in the right spot and if you're making a little change or whatever. And then what we call, I use the word age. You're aging that process in. You're building a, a feeling of holding that club the proper way. It's very difficult, as you know, to go out to the golf course and say, oh, I'm going to change my grip today. And you get on the first tee and you're thinking about your grip halfway back in your backswing and you shank it over there into the trees. So just something simple like that. Another fast way to get better is actually sharpen up that short game, chipping, putting. A little simple, you know, we don't, one of the things we do in putting is we don't sit there and putt 15-foot putts. The difference between a tour player and an average golfer statistically from 15 feet is almost negligible. So Scotty Scheffler doesn't make that many more 15-footers than you actually do. The difference is, is he makes way more three-footers and his 40-footers he gets it within a gimme range, as you could call it, and he never three-putts. Whereas you have a 15-footer, you might roll it by six feet and miss it coming back. Well, you put a tour player at a six-foot putt, and he's got a chance of missing it too, okay? But the tour player rarely puts himself into a position where he's going to three-putt. Um, so in chipping, just short chips in the yard, that's another way. You know, the first thing everybody wants to do is they go out to the driver range, pull out the driver, and see how far and hard they can hit it. If you only hit the driver maximum 14 times around. I hit it probably 11, 10, 11, 12 times around. So, you know, you're hitting it 12 times around. You're hitting that putter 30 times around. You're hitting that wedge, you know, at least, I mean, could be up to 18 times or more around. You know, you see guys just chip it around the green and they, they just make circles around the green and never get on the green. So you could just make yourself more efficient by just being a sharper, sharp, sharper short game instead of just trying to, slam the ball down the fairway. You can get it kind of in the fairway, get it kind of by the green, and get it up and down 40, 50% of the time. You can be uh, shooting the mid-80s. Thomas? 
Appreciate your time as always. Brother, keep up the great work that you're doing with Skill Masters. Of course, Skill Masters is a great new app that's all about boosting players and coaches' development and exposure. They're doing this great initiative with golfers, both young and old. Thomas, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your week. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Okay, thank you, man. See you next time. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The LSU women's basketball team is back in the NCAA tournament. Last year, great turnaround season. One of the greatest turnarounds we've ever seen in women's college basketball or college basketball, period. But it ended on a sour note as they had their hands full in the opening round victory over Jackson State before falling to Ohio State. Both games played inside the PMAC. They get another shot at it this time around. Better season, more wins. Got a win in the SEC tournament as well. Now they're looking to advance to the Sweet 16. They'll be at home Friday night against Hawaii, and then they'll take on the winner of UNLV Michigan in the second round on Sunday, both games inside the PMAC. Can Kim Mulkey's team get it done and push through and advance to the second weekend of the tournament? To discuss that and more involving the LSU Tigers is our good friend, the award-winning columnist from the Baton Rouge Advocate, Scott Rabelais, joins us now. Rabs, good morning, brother. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me. It's uh, like I, I love I love college football season, but this is my favorite four weeks of the year: three weeks for the tournament, uh, the NCAA tournaments, and then some little golf invitational they have in Georgia uh, in oh, yeah. April. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, just, put it all together. Just it's my favorite my favorite time of the year in terms of sports. Yeah, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on the Masters, by the way, because it's been a long time since we uh, had someone who put on the green jacket the previous year that we think is the front runner to win again this year. But it sure does seem that's going to be the case. We'll get to that, though. But let's start with basketball. And let's start with Kim Mulkey's team. They made big strides this year, had to essentially create the team from scratch yet again. And here they are, more wins. SEC tournament victory, and now here they are again hosting the first two round games. I know the easy answer to say the big difference is Angel Reese, but besides Miss Double Double, what's the big difference between this year's LSU team and last year's LSU team? Uh, that that is a good question, and, and and it isn't just her. Although having a first team All American helps a lot, of course. Uh, just in general, they they get more scoring from their. Uh, from the the post uh, from the from the forward positions and the you know, the front court than they had last year. Uh, last year you had a lot of players who were just they were hit and miss. But Ladeja Williams is a very good player um, as forward as well. Flojay Johnson, I tend to think of her as a as a uh, forward though they list her as a guard. I guess she's more of a swing player. She can get rebounds. She can score. She can shoot outside. Uh, she was SEC freshman of the year, so. 
So, I, I, and then Alexis Morris has has been healthy. She has been able to play the whole way through. This is what they, this is who they were missing this time last year because she had hurt her uh, her knee late in the regular season, and uh, she was just she played the NCAA tournament, but she was hardly at full strength, and that was uh, a big reason that LSU got eliminated in the second round. So, I, I would say that combination of things. They still don't get a lot of a lot of scoring off the bench, but they. Uh, you know, they do have you know more of it in the front court, and and uh, you know, the scoring, the rebounding is is a lot better than last year. So they have better depth, and obviously they have Angel Reese. And you you make a great point about uh, Alexis being healthy, which is which is a huge uh, key as well. Look, Kim is an ultimate motivator, old school type of coach here as well. You know, I thought. The Tigers deserve to be a two seed. They end up on a three line. And Kim spoke about it earlier in the week, right, Rabs, where she's like, look, it's a coin flip between us and Utah. It is what it is, and and here we go. Um, do you think they take any motivation from losing to Tennessee like the way they did or not getting a two seed? Or do you think this team is kind of just above that? Um, you know, I, I think – Kim Mulkey, uh, he kind of resigned herself a little bit to the fact that with the, the non-conference schedule she had, and it, it, it was soft, in, in no question. It, they it didn't play anybody, you know, really good in, in the non-conference. They only played two ranked teams all year: uh, South Carolina and Tennessee. Um, Arkansas was ranked at the time, but teams that are you know ranked now, uh, and uh, th- this could could happen. And and it seemed like they were looking. <laughs> pollsters and the collection committee seemed like they were looking for a reason to knock LSU down a peg and, and they did. They didn't want it as a three seed. Although they're net, they're, you know, the, the metric that the NCAA uses now instead of RPI uh, to, to help seed the field had them as a, as a three. And, you know, that, that was, and, and they were the runner up in the third ranked net conference in, in the country. But in the end, I think they would have been a two, but, but, but for UConn, got AZ Fudd back, one of their star players, and they made a run and won the Big East tournament title when they were looking very vulnerable at the end of the year. I think that that um, that's what got them, or they would be a two seed. Could they be using this as motivation? A little bit. I mean, everyone loves to play the, the no-respect card. Hey, Georgia just played it all the way through an undefeated season to another national championship, right? Uh, you know, no one thought anything of us before the season. Well, they had you fourth or so. I mean, you know, third in the country. I mean, it wasn't number one. I guess you got us there, but it was right up there. And uh, so, so they can play a, l- a little bit of that. Uh, but uh, it, it's uh, you, know, you know, no one likes us. No one likes Kim Mulkey. You know, you can say you can say those kinds of things too uh, if you're LSU. But uh, the fact is. They're probably pretty close to where they should be, a lower to a high three seed, and you're gonna to have to play tough teams, you know, no matter what. If you if you advance a little bit, the the thing is, you know, they're in a position where if they win tomorrow, and Michigan wins, they're playing another tough, tested, uh, quality Big Ten team in the second round, like they did with Ohio State last year, and Ohio State kind of kind of ran them off the court, so. Um, that's a concern for, for LSU. But but at the same time, they should advance and get to the Sweet 16 and see what, what they do. And if they, if they make it to the Sweet 16, 
that's a pretty great, and they get eliminated there. That, that's a pretty great season in, in year two for uh, for LSU under Kim Mulkey. I think it's a great year as well because she's way ahead of schedule, right? And, and we've talked about this before, Rab, is that what she's been able to do, the turnaround, is way ahead of schedule. You typically don't see this at programs. So to get to the Sweet 16 would be a great accomplishment. I know fans would love to see a deeper run than that, and she even you know, spoke about that earlier this week. How can you not love Kim Mulkey? I just, I just don't understand if, if who doesn't. But if they do get to the Sweet 16, you still like their chances against what would probably be a pretty good Utah team, but pretty evenly matched with LSU, right? I mean, if they just get to the Sweet 16, that's great, but they would still have a chance. If you got uh, yes, they definitely would have a chance. If you've got an inside-outside scoring combination of Angel Reese and Alexis Morris, you've got a, you've got a chance against uh, a lot of just te- uh, any team not named South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina is just head and shoulders above anyone else. It would be a stunning, not that they couldn't lose, but it would be a stunning upset if they if they don't win the, the national championship again. But against anybody else, you got a chance. And especially if LSU gets that third score. And if you're watching the Tigers this weekend in the NCAA tournament, maybe not so much against Hawaii, who's an outclassed opponent. LSU's favored by like 29 points uh, to, to win tomorrow afternoon. Um, but against uh, in the second round or, or in, into the, the second weekend, they got to get that third double-figure score, either Ladeja Williams at forward or Flo J. Johnson or Jasmine Carson hitting the three-pointers. Somebody else, they're, they're really going to be hard to beat. And so, uh, But they've got a good combination. What do they always say in sports? Be strong up the middle. And that's basically what you are with, with Reese and, and Morris. You're strong up the middle. And uh, you've got two players who are intense and charismatic and, and are leading their team. Uh, Alexis Morris, who's from Beaumont, uh, has made no – no, no qualms about it. She said, "You know, I want my senior night to be in Dallas, uh, you know, at the Final Four. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see how far they can go. But they got the kind of players you'd like to have to help you make that run." Wrap it up with this, Bud. First two games to get to the Sweet Sixteen, they have to take care of Hawaii tomorrow night inside the PMAC, and then the winner of UNLV oh. Michigan. Do you expect? When it's all said and done on Monday morning, that the LSU Tigers will be in the Sweet 16. I, I do. Uh, again, I think uh, Michigan. They got Michigan. This is good by a UNLV team that's got the second most wins in the country. They got 31 wins when undefeated in their conference uh, this year. So uh, no, no easy touch for Michigan, who's a three-point favorite in that game. But I, I think LSU will. They, they are healthy as compared to this point last year. Uh, you know, every, everyone's ready to play. Uh, they, you know, they get, like I said, just a little, a little help for Reese and Morris from one of the other starters or someone off the bench, which they don't often get. They don't often get much bench scoring, and they've survived with that all year. Yeah, I expect that they're going to be uh, dancing into the second round. Going back to Greenville, South Carolina, and if I could mention that real quick, there are only two regional sites in women's basketball this year in the tournament, Greenville, South Carolina, and Seattle. So LSU and South, and South Carolina are in two separate regionals going to Greenville, two teams from each regional will be advancing to the final four, which is uh, from each site, rather. Uh, it's a little confusing and a, a little different. People are like, what, LSU have to play South Carolina already? They wouldn't meet until the national championship game. It's just the way, I don't know why they're doing it this way <laughs> this year, but this is a new thing for women's basketball, two regional sites instead of four. So I thought I'd mention that if people look at the bracket and wonder, what's going on? Yeah, it, Greenville 1, Greenville 2, Seattle 3, Seattle 4. I was like, what? We had to explain it on the air the other day. All right, bud, I'll, oh, get, you out, I'll get you out of here with this. Um, 
and we'll talk more about this as we get a little bit closer to the Masters. Uh, Scotty Shuffler has been on an absolute tear the last 14 months. Uh, we haven't seen a, a back-to-back Masters champion in a while. Do you think he gets done this year? You know, I, I wasn't thinking so, but I, he'd be he'd be tough to bet against at, at this point. I mean, you know, he, he won in Phoenix. He, he 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 won four tournaments last spring, but hadn't won after the Masters. But he came out this year, won the Waste Management in Phoenix, and then just won the Players. Um, Jordan Spieth said he's the best player in the world right now. And he doesn't overwhelm you. You know, he doesn't have the you know the you know the the personality or the, or the flashy game or something like that. He doesn't just wow you. He just consistently knocks it on the green and makes putts. And he's got a, a, a caddy in Ted Scott from from Lafayette, uh, who who's who his caddy uh, last year, who he gives a lot of credit to. We had a we had a teleconference, a Zoom conference with him yesterday, uh, we're talking as the Masters uh, reigning champion. He had the green jacket on and everything. Um, he gives a lot of credit to Teddy for for being a calming influence and a great influence. Of course, Ted Scott was on Bubba Watson's back for both of his Masters wins. So, I would not put it past him. I, I think I, I think uh, it, it probably comes down to who has the hot hand among uh, him, John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, uh, maybe Justin Thomas. Uh, you know, you gotta you gotta like one of those guys. But he's right up there again. He's put himself right up there with that with that Players Championship victory. And uh, I would I would be hard pressed to bet against him if I were a betting man. Yes, Brad, appreciate your time as always. I'll see you tomorrow night inside the PMAC, bud. I take it you're going to be there, right? I will be there. Yes, sir. Look forward to it. There we go, brother. I'll see you tomorrow night, bud. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Ray. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. The bracket is done. It's in ink. And I already hate myself for what uh, what I've done. I will share it on social media here in a little while. I want to take a moment to thank our guest for joining us on this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company, Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports, Les East of Crescent City Sports, Thomas Wartell, the Skill Masters app, golf coach, and of course, Scott Rabelais, columnist from the Baton Rouge Advocate. We touched on a ton of stuff today. Cajuns. Got a little hose there at the end of last night's game in the Hancock-Whitney Classic down in Biloxi. But still, fought hard, battled with a team that won the College World Series a couple years ago. Good midweek contest. They'll be ready for conference play this weekend as they take on Arkansas State. Whew. Final results of the poll question of the day. Will the Louisiana Raging Cajuns upset the Tennessee Volunteers? 62% of you say yes, they will. 38% say no. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day thanks to all who left your comments both good and bad we don't judge here there's no judgment this is a judgment free zone on rp3 and company Whew, good show tomorrow it'll be great hopefully we'll be recapping a raging cajuns win over the tennessee volunteers look more at the ncaa tournament talk about the weekend baseball series and talk about what a current new york mets player is going to injure themselves in a ridiculous way this offseason That's going to do it for us. We'll be back on tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Footnotes with guest host Dawson Iserlo is next right here on The Game.